And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, everybody, welcome back. It is your Thursday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. It's Ian Benison, John McAdoo with you for the next hour or so. And boy, oh boy, do we have some stuff to sink our teeth into after a controversial ending to Game 4 of the Stanley Cup Final. Uh, we've, got, uh, we've got that to get into. Uh, we've got Paul Maurice in Florida. What's going on there? Like, uh, we'll, we'll talk about the NHL awards that were handed out this week. We've got some great voicemail um, submissions, uh, questions into the email this week in hockey history. We got so much to get to. But Sean, I got to tell you. So I watched the game last night on Wednesday night, okay? And Nazem Kadri scores, and it's like that, that, that Patrick Kane kind of did he or didn't he? What's going on? But, you know, mm-hmm. as soon as that was resolved and it was clearly a goal, I'm going to admit something. I shut my television off and I basically didn't look at Twitter and I went to bed. And I know you were live blogging last night with Sean Gentile. At what point did you realize that this was like, I'm not going to say it's Brett Hall foot in the crease, but, but it is a pretty big goal and a big momentum shift in the Stanley Cup final. At what point did you realize, wow, we got ourselves a story here? After the live blog had closed, we had already <laughs> shut it down. And, yeah. uh, and the reason we had is because not one person on the broadcast not one person on Twitter. Nobody saw this as an issue until John Cooper did his very weird press conference. Yeah. And even then, people were like, what is, he, what is he talking about? What is going on here? And, and so my situation, not all that far from yours, is we, we did the live blog. We were live for you know, five hours or whatever it was. Um, we wrapped it up. Hey, there's the goal. You know, Stanley Cup will be in the building Friday night. Good night, everyone. Uh, I go to bed. And as as I uh, as I always do, I'm I'm doom scrolling Twitter uh, right before I go to sleep. <laughs> yeah, that's and, and and I see, yeah, it's healthy. It's uh, you know, it, I'm sure it contributes to great uh, great sleep for me every yeah. night. Uh, and, and I see I see people uh, posting the quotes from John Cooper, and then I see I think it was Ellie Friedman was the first one to say I think it's it's too many men that they're referring to, and I start seeing the clips, and I went, well, that's nothing. That's, I mean, that, that's, that, this is a non, this is a non-controversy. And I went to bed and it was when I woke up in the morning and I saw how much traction this thing had gained. And I saw people posting clips. Yeah. Here's the definitive angle. And, oh, this is the most damning shot. The damning. bench view. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, uh, so here we are. This is, uh, this is a thing now. And uh, apparently this is going to be the thing for the next two days is that this uh, goal was a, a missed too many men. I, I don't know where you went because I got thoughts, but I, I want to 
You're a reasonable guy. Okay. So here's the thing. I worry that this happens more often than we think, right? Like, I think this happens more often than we think. Like, this happens so, all the time. This is so my this concern. This happens multiple times. Yes. Every game, yes. including that game, including the Tampa Bay Lightning also having too many men on the ice. On that same at play. At that moment, on that same play. They also had a sixth guy over by the bench. So, yes, this does happen absolutely all the time. My concern is we're headed down the path of overreaction. And what has happened in the past? The, think of the Matt Duchesne offside goal. We blew it up. And now are we going to go down the road of every – and look, and I think it's a good conversation to have because we, we do talk about the NFL. The NFL reviews every single scoring play. And I know that there's an appetite from some people saying, look, if the NFL reviews every touchdown, maybe the NHL should review every goal. My concern on that, though, is what happens on a situation like last night? Like Now I'm starting to think, are we going to be just getting rid of goals left, right, and center? Um, yes. Look. what was, Absolutely. Yeah. That is what will happen if people get their way on this. I, and so I think, look – did Nazem Kadri jump off the bench and, and get up there a little early? Yes, he did. Okay. But were there like six skaters on the ice that for a sustained period of time that led to that goal happening? I would say no, but that's just my opinion. And I do it's, think the It's not your opinion. The answer is no. <laughs> yeah. That I, was not we have seen because we have seen the situation you described. We yeah. saw it at Islander fans have got a feel like this is very rich because they saw it last year against these same lightning at least once in that series they'll tell you twice where there was at least one of the goals in that series crucial goal there was just six or it might have been seven guys on the ice for an extended period of time not because somebody jumped a little early because they'd they'd mixed up a line change two guys jumped on for one guy which happens and and the and it got missed and the goal counted and people went ah it's a bad break for the islanders and then we moved on and I maybe Barry Trotz should have burst into tears at his press conference and made it a bigger thing than it was, but we moved on. And yet uh, on this one, which again, this, this play happens constantly. Now, yes, if you look at the strict letter of the rule book, you could argue that should be a too many men on the ice call. But that play does not get called too many men on the ice. Nine times out of 10, and I'm not talking in the playoffs, I'm not talking in overtime. First period of a game in November, that play maybe gets whistled down one time out of 10. Maybe they call too many men or maybe a legal substitution, which is also an option that they have. In that game last night, when it was rugby rules from the third period on, we saw guys getting tackled. Victor Hedman got tackled in the third period. That was unbelievable. Like that was, if that wasn't textbook interference on Hedman, I don't know what is. Like it it absolutely was. Tackled. There were three or four. Obvious, clear as day penalties that did not get called. And we think that they're going to call too many men on that play. Imagine they whistle that dead before the goal, right? Because it's a play. You got to call it. You don't you don't wait for a goal and then and then say it was too many men. Imagine Nazem Kadri carries a puck in and suddenly there's a whistle and everyone's looking around and they oh too many men on Colorado. We would have lost our minds. We would have said, are you kidding me? That you're letting guys tackle each other out there, and then you call this chintzy yep. nitpicky too many men. And, and uh, look, I get if you're a Tampa fan, obviously if you're with the Tampa team, you're disappointed to lose that game. Understatement. I don't mind them being passionate. I don't mind John Cooper being ticked off, and I got a lot of time for John Cooper. I like John Cooper a lot. Um, he's a good guy. You and I have hung out with John Cooper. Yes. So we'll tell that yeah. story someday. Yeah. But you and I have closed a bar in Florida with John Cooper. I like John Cooper a lot. <laughs> he's he's probably my favorite coach in the league. But John, it, it's it's your buddy Sean here. This is not it, man. This is I and I really hope by the time people hear this, when John Cooper's done his his media and that that he'll he'll do today, that he has has turned the page on this. Not even walked it back, but has he said, look, you know, hey. This stuff happens and we're moving on because the other option is we start doing review on this and that would be an absolute nightmare. Every goal that gets scored 
suddenly somebody, whether it's the team or whether it's the league, is rewind into the last line change and just looking at, well, was that five feet or was that six feet? Does that guy, that guy was on a little quick or oh, that guy kind of stay. Goals will be coming off the board constantly. Yeah. And it'll be an absolute nightmare. I mean, look, it, it, there is, it, there's, no, there's nothing here. And and I get that it's it's the Stanley Cup final. Everything gets magnified. I get that that you know John Cooper made it a thing that nobody else had picked up on. Not one person that I saw suggested that there was anything wrong with this goal until until John Cooper. I get that the NHL certainly didn't do their refs any favor by kind of throwing them under the bus with this statement, just saying, "Wow, it's a judgment call." But it is a judgment call. And in in a game where they're not calling anything, the idea that they should have blown this play dead. And look, it's not like Nazem Kadri, you know, jumped on the ice and because he was so early, he had a breakaway. He's, he's going in one on three. Yeah. Stop the guy. Like, it's, it's, it's an absolute non-controversy. I really hope that us in the media are smart enough to, to not take the bait on this because the end result will be, first of all, we put a black cloud over a game that doesn't need one. And we're going to get review on these stupid things. And I've used that as an example in the past. Whenever I'm railing against offside review, people know I don't, I don't like offside review. I don't think we should have it. And I say, you know, what else are we going to, what else should we tell? If we have to just get it right, should we be checking, you know, on a dumping from center ice? It, should we be checking uh, uh, face-off violations? If somebody has a skate in the face-off circle, every single face-off. Why don't we worry about that? Should we check line changes? Somebody was, you know, six feet away instead of five. I'm making that sarcastically to make the point that, hey, wouldn't it be ridiculous if we do that? Now we've got people saying maybe we need to. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a non-story. It is, the, it, it is taken away from a great win by the Avalanche, a great moment for Nazem Kadri. I like John Cooper a lot, but man, this is, you know, for him to get up there and do this, this performance Almost, and I'm not questioning that he was that he was emotional. I mean, obviously, the, the emotions run very high in a series like this. But for him to choose to play it that way, uh, and, and then lead us all on this this you know wild goose chase for for oh look at this gift, look at this freeze frame. Look, I drew little numbers on on this, and there, there's Nathan McKinnon over by the boards, uh, and, and people are looking at the game sheet. Oh my gosh, the game sheet has an extra player on it who wasn't even part of the play. That was just a mistake. But people think they've got some smoking gun. It's nonsense. This was a standard line change. We see this all the time. Yeah, it was early. By the strict letter of the of the book, it probably was too many men. But that's not how this gets called. And it's not how it should be called. And we're in for a world of problems if if we if we go down this path of saying we got to crack down on this somehow. Well, exactly. And to me, the offside, the, the, the introduction of video review for offside is the cautionary tale. Like we, yep. the unintended consequences of that, I think we're still feeling it. We'll feel it for, for years and years because every single play is, is broken down. And can you imagine that we're doing this on every line change? We're going to suck the fun out of the game. And yep. hey, like if Nate McKinnon was actively engaged in that play, I would be fully on board to say, you know what? The Avs got away with one, and we need to make sure that that doesn't happen again. But Nate McKinnon was cruising towards his bench, right? Yeah. Like he's, like he he's probably- at the bench. <laughs> yes. When, and, and this is all described in the rule book, by the way. The fact that Nate McKinnon's skates are still on the ice when the goal is scored does not matter. Because yeah, you can be within they, five feet, right? They specifically talk about exactly this situation. They call him a retired player. Basically, he's out of the play. Even if his skates are on the ice, he's he's not part of the play anymore. So, um, yeah, it it's this is a standard thing. I promise you. Go to any game, really watch every line change. You are gonna find cases like this, and they don't get called, and we don't want them called. And look, we've been trained by offside review. This is part of what bugs me. Like we've offside review has trained us to as soon as a goal gets scored, especially if it's against our team. To go, well, hold on, wait a second. Let's look at everything. Where's my get out of jail free card? Where's my, you know, it doesn't have to have anything to do with the, but is there something that happened? Did a puck touch the netting, you know, two minutes ago? Was there an offside? Was there this or that? Is there something that I can say this goal shouldn't have counted? Even though it was a good goal, even though somebody beat my defenseman, beat my goalie, made a great play, we don't want it to count. And, you know, you and I are old enough. We remember the, 
skate and crease rule, uh, which was a terrible rule. And the NHL had it for four years until the Brett Hall moment. uh, And then it went away. And and we all knew that that's how it was going to end. And it's the same with, you know, offside review. We're going to lose a goal. You know, Connor McDavid's going to score a game seven cup winner someday. And it's going to be ruled offside by a quarter of an inch. And then we'll get rid of the rule then because it's the NHL. We wait until crisis and then we then we respond. But the pro- the biggest problem with that skate in the crease, remember, there were years there as a fan. Every time there was a goal, you didn't jump out of your seat. You, yep. you kind of stopped and went, OK, hold on. All right. I don't see it. All right. It looks like it's a good goal. Okay. I feel okay. All right. Yay for my team. And that's, that was awful. It, Cause I mean, hockey is about the rush of seeing a goal score. That's the, the key moment as a fan it, to bring you out of your seat. And when we train everyone that hold on, there's a good chance this is going to, this is going to come back on some technicality. It's, it's just, it, it's, it's a mess and uh, it's already a mess and it's going to be much worse if, if we go down this 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 road, and today's the day, like people like us on this show, people doing the you know people doing the pregame show tomorrow, everyone doing their talk radio, who's going, oh, this will be great. Let's we can fill two hours with. We need more review. We got to nip this in the bud and say, guys, this is this is this would be dumb, and this would be awful, and this would make the games um, even less entertaining than they already are. Uh, stop it in its tracks right now, because this was. Say it for the dozenth time. This was a very standard play. Uh, and and on the list of things that should have been called a penalty last night, this isn't even in the top 10. You know what I, I could see happening or somebody proposing? Or I guess I'm proposing it here. I don't want to see this, but could you not? And, and the rule is you got to be within five feet of the bench, right? Five feet of the bench, and then the player can, can change out for you. That they put some sort of color on the ice that... That way, it'll make it easier for these referees to catch too many men, and if you know what I mean, like I could see yeah. that being floated. You could. Out. I don't. But again, again the, the I, I, again, this is one of these things. I've 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 written posts before, kind of tongue in cheek, where I've said, "Hey, if you want the rule book called, here's a bunch of rules that are not called the way you think they are." For example, if if you take a shot on a goaltender and he freezes the puck, that's a penalty, according to the strict letter, letter of the rule book. Um, goalies aren't allowed to adjust their equipment. If, you know, when you, we see it all the time, goalie, there's something with the wrong with his pad or his mask or his skate, and he goes over to the bench and we all wait. Um, that's not allowed in the strict letter of the rule book. They have to leave and the backup goalie has to come in for any equipment adjustment. Um, players who are hurt uh, or, you know, testing out an injury aren't allowed to go on the ice in between shifts and take a little skate to test it out. We see that all the time. That's a penalty. You're not allowed to swear in the NHL. It's supposed to be an automatic penalty and a fine anytime anybody swears. You want to break you want to break that uh, Flyers Senators all-time penalty minutes record yeah. in one game. Call that rule for one game. This is another one of them. I mean, yeah, it says 5 feet, but that's not what the rule is. Now, if you want to argue we should enforce that rule, I guess I I did I had somebody suggest that to me today saying like, you know, if we actually suggested that it would make line changes tougher, maybe you get tired players stuck out there more and, you know. But we'd also get just a flood of goals getting pulled off the board. And and not only would we lose good goals, but you would eventually you would come to expect it so much. And we kind of already do this with interference and offside. But this would add one more thing that every time there was a goal, you'd go, oh, hold on. Let's not get too excited. Let's see. Maybe somebody was six feet from the bench on the last line change. Um, we don't need this, guys. This is, uh, you know, and it's uh, uh, we didn't need it last night. And we we sure as heck don't need to be checking every single goal. Uh for seasons to come just because the Tampa Bay Lightning were upset about this one. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. 
Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Well, I'll tell you what, the overtime goal uh, by Nazem Kadri was not the only time we dusted out the rule book in game number four. Uh, Tampa's first goal by Anthony Sorelli had people reacting pretty strongly, and that is because um, Darcy Kemper lost his mask. And mm-hmm. I, th- I think you, t- yeah, you tweeted out the, uh, the actual rule. And I think this is really important rule. because yep. I think there is a misconception that the minute or the second a goaltender loses his mask, the play is blown dead. And clearly that there was people yesterday saying, wait right. a minute, Darcy Kemper lost his mask. And then, you know, Sorelli puts the puck in the net. What's going on here? Like, you know, so why don't you just, just for the sake of clarity, just walk our listeners through this rule because yeah. I think it is really important and it sh- certainly was a factor in uh, in game number four on uh, on Wednesday night. Yeah, now now that I've got yeah. every Lightning fan <laughs> mad at me, uh, let's let's get the Colorado side too because this was also a good goal. They they called it correctly. It's rule nine point six, and basically what the rule says is that if a goaltender loses his mask, you blow the play dead unless there is an imminent scoring chance. It was basically exactly for this play. Uh, it is not that you blow the that, that the defensive team has to have possession of the puck. Uh, it's it's not anything like that. The, the bar is not even that high. The bar is there has to be an imminent scoring chance, which is basically a guy has a puck on a stick and he's about to shoot it in the net, which is what happened last night. This is the only case where letting the play go is is the right call. And look, it, this was a very bang bang play. If you didn't see it. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's literally, I, I'm not even sure the referee would have had time to blow the whistle right? Like, to, to see what happened, process it, get the whistle up to his mouth and blow the whistle before the puck goes in. Um, I'm not sure that there, there would have been time to do that. Now I just did a whole rant on too many men where I said, you know, there's what the rule book says and then there's how it's called. So some people will say, well, wait a second though. I've never seen it called like this. I've seen so many examples where guys will, lose the mask and even though the other team has the puck even though they're it it does it it gets whistled dead right away and yes the way that this is called is typically the officials give all sorts of leeway towards blowing it dead the the only time they won't is is essentially on a play like this where the puck is on a guy's stick empty net he's going to shoot it in i mean we we've seen plays even where a goalie loses his mask and somebody's winding up for a slap shot and they will blow it dead. It, you know, again, it's it's a safety issue here. And I, and I know that's where a lot of people are coming from on this. Um, but let's also describe how the play happened. Because what happens is there's a shot. It hits Darcy Kemper in the mask. It pops the strap off the back of his mask. Now his mask is loose. And as a goaltender, I mean, it, it can stay on your head. The mask can stay on there. But now your your vision lines are, are all screwed up. And so what goalies tend to do is they shake the mask off. And that's what Darcy Kemper did. I know there's a lot of Avalanche fans saying Sorelli got him with the stick. Sorelli pitchforked the mask off of him. No, he didn't. Mike McKenna tweeted this out. The former goaltender um, had had the smart take. And look, if anyone's going to be pro goalie, it's him. But he said, no, the strap pops off. He shakes it down. You can actually see it's it's his head. The, the stick kind of comes up near his face, but the mask goes down. The mask doesn't pop up. The mask goes down because Kemper is shaking it off. You really don't want to have a situation, I don't think, where you say anytime the mask comes off, it's an automatic stoppage because goalies do shake the masks off. And we've seen that before and, and they know they do it to get a stoppage and, and, and partly because they don't want to play with, uh, you know, with a busted strap. Um, but they, they do it on purpose and Kemper did what he was probably coached to do, which is to shake the mask off. Um, and, you know, I don't think you can just say automatic whistle every time a goalie shakes his own mask off. Now, maybe you do something up. Maybe you say, hey, it's, uh, you know, maybe it's a penalty. Maybe it's a, I, somebody said, okay, if, but if a goalie does that, it should be a penalty shot. Maybe that, you know, that's not a bad compromise. If we're really worried about player safety, then that, that doesn't, that uh, kills the play. It, 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 uh, um, it, it creates that player safety, but it doesn't give any incentive to try to stake a, take a scoring chance away. But, uh, Look, I mean, it it's it was called properly. It's this is this is how the rule is written. This is how the rule is intended. This is how the rule is called. And the reason you haven't seen it called is because it almost never happens like this. And if you're an Avalanche fan, if you if you think it was Sorrell, like I, I, and this apparently, I think it's a bit of a 
this seems to be an ESPN Sportsnet thing because I think we got different replays. And I think on ESPN, they kind of played up a little bit more that it was the stick and, and on Sportsnet, they didn't. But if you're convinced it was the stick, then yes, obviously you can't use your stick to knock a goalie's mask off and then score on him right away. That shouldn't be a goal. But that's goalie interference. And that's a challengeable play. So don't be mad at the rep. Be mad at Jared Bednar because if you really think that it was the stick that very obvious, and I know a lot of Avalanche fans think this was completely obvious, then be mad yep. at your own coach because it should have been an obvious goalie interference and he didn't challenge it. You know, we had a lot of, look, obviously game four was dripping with controversy and rule book stuff. And I, I hope it doesn't take away from the greatness of the Nazem Kadri moment. Um, yeah. And and I and I say that because I, I don't I don't I don't know that he gets into like the Bobby Bond category of this guy scores a goal with a broken foot and 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 all that stuff or a broken leg. But man, you like sometimes you wonder about hockey gods and whether they just you know how they how they do things. And you know, here's a guy that obviously uh, in that St. Louis series we all know what he went through with uh, you know dealing with racial insults and he responds with a hat trick. And then he gets the, the 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 busted thumb, and I thought, okay, well, this is going to be it for him. And if he comes back, he maybe he's just like a decoy, and he's a, mm-hmm. he scores the overtime game winning goal, a beautiful goal, Cup, a beautiful An absolutely goal. gorgeous goal. And, and you know what? You know what sucks is you're yeah. right. This does detract from it. I know it does. I, I, you know it 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 already. This is already now the too many men goal. Uh, and and again, like I'm not, I'm ticked off at John Cooper, not because he should <laughs> care about. Nazem Kadri's narrative or, you know, anything like that. But like, I, I don't know, man. It's, uh, it, it does, it takes away from a great moment uh, and a great comeback. And, and, you know, Nazem Kadri, it was, it was interesting. I, I uh, doing the live blog last night, I really didn't notice Nazem Kadri for most of the game. I mean, you noticed him in the sense that, you know, because he was making the comeback, you look for him and he was playing a, re- a fairly regular shift. But he didn't really do anything. He, he, you know, not even not only in terms of scoring chances because we weren't even sure he'd be able to shoot. He didn't set anything up. There weren't any like he he, he didn't seem really involved in the physical play. Um, and then he scores this goal, the goal of a lifetime. And uh, uh, you know, uh, for a guy that you know we know his history in Toronto with the suspensions, and then you know happens again with Colorado. Um, and and then yeah, you you talked about the the journey this year. It's it's a great story, and I wish. I wish we and everyone else was leading with that today instead of John Cooper tearing up at a press conference over a play that doesn't get called 90% of the time. You know, one thing I also want to hit on is, you know, we, we've talked about this, that, you know, usually the NHL asks teams uh, that aren't participating in the Stanley Cup final, hey, like, can, can you kind of keep your, your significant news, just hold it for a little bit? Mm-hmm. And this year, I'm feeling like, wait a minute, the Flyers did John Tortorella. And now the Florida Panthers have gone ahead and hired yep. Paul Maurice in, in, in Sunrise to be the, the, the new head coach in, of the Panthers. Um, Andrew Brunette uh, doesn't get to uh, continue. The interim tag, um, you know, usually you hear oh, the interim tag is removed. No, Andrew Brunette, Jack Adams nominee, uh, historic season in some ways for the Panthers, not good enough to retain his job. Well, like... When you heard about potential candidates like Andrew Brunette might not be safe in in Florida, did Paul Maurice was that one of the names that came up to you? Because it wasn't for me, and I'm just curious, like your read into this because it's not like Paul has a history of taking teams that are on the verge of winning over the hump. You know, he he's got the one trip to the final in in '02, right, with twenty with Carolina, ago. twenty years mm-hmm. ago. Uh, and you can argue that team kind of punched above its weight more than it was a, you know. That was a good team. I mean, they, it was a good team, they, but they beat my Leafs. That was a good team, but that was 20 years ago. Yeah. Pre cap, pre, you know, you know full on dead puck era. And and he has not had a lot of winning seasons since then. I, you know, he took a very good Winnipeg team to the conference final. I think he's gotten out of the first round four times in his career. Uh, I think somebody was telling me he made the playoffs like nine times out of 20 seasons or whatever it is. Yeah. No, he was not on it. He was not on my list. And, and, and here's the thing with, with the Panthers. I know a lot of people were very surprised that, that this was even a question. And, and even you heard, you know, towards the end of the season, people were like, oh, I mean, clearly Andrew Burnett's going to keep the job. 
uh, unless there's a disaster in the playoffs and then they win in the first round. And, and uh, you know, even even given how badly it went against the Lightning, I think there were a lot of people just assuming that he was that he was safe. Um, and, and I didn't necessarily feel that way. My my feeling was. He did a good job, clearly, um, but he did a good job with a good team. He, he wasn't their guy that they wanted. Obviously, with the Joel Quenville situation, they were forced into making a move. That team was 7-0 and when he took over. Um, he, he kept it going. Um, disappointing end in the playoffs. You know, I looked at it and I said, if you've got a chance at a real upgrade and this team is this good and it's this important for your franchise to, to, to strike during this window, I think you look at it. I think you absolutely take a look. And I was thinking along the lines of, you know, if, if Barry Trotz wants to come to Florida, then yeah, I think I make that move. And, you know, maybe Bruce Cassidy or, you know, somebody like that. I will tell you, Paul Maurice was not on my radar as a guy that I, I make this move for. Um, and I was very surprised. And, and I sort of theorized yesterday that I, you, you figure something must have happened behind the scenes. And that doesn't mean anything like, nefarious or you know it, it but it makes me wonder if either a they heard some things from players yeah um in the exit meetings where you know a player might have you know said hey you know either we don't like this guy or hey the against the lightning we weren't prepared and here's what we did not do um or whether it was maybe it was sort of a barry trotz thing or you know let's keep our options open and eventually andrew burnett goes guys you can't just keep me dangling here if, if i'm not the guy then let me go. And then they are now stuck where, well, we didn't get Barry Trotz. Now we ticked off our guy. Now we got to go and find the best guy available. And maybe that's, that's Paul Maurice. I don't know. We, we don't know yet as we're recording this, whether he's even going to stick around in the organization. Apparently he's been offered that. I can't imagine. Like, that you would that want- be awkward? Like, yes. I, I know Pierre, Pierre Lebrun was the one who reported that, hey, listen, they, they've offered him a chance to stay on in another role, and whether that's a scout or maybe an assistant. I, I don't I don't know that you could be the assistant coach. That that might be really weird. But we, We've seen interim coaches do that. Yeah. Like, you know, be the interim coach and then go back to But But that is when it's – they're very clearly the interim guy. And they certainly aren't Jack Adams. No, I don't, I don't see how you can be the Jack Adams runner-up and then – just take it, take a demotion. The, yeah, uh, I mean, it's it, it, and and it's yeah. it's easy for me to say that because there's not there's only a couple of coaching vacancies right now, and and still some very big names available. So I, I you know, it's no guarantee that he gets the job. So it's easy for me to say, oh, I'd walk, um, but uh, I'd I'd walk if if I were him, and uh, you know, even if you go go be an assistant somewhere else, um, I I. I don't want to stick around in Florida after, um, you know, even as I, though I can understand them looking at the upgrade. Uh, if, if the job that he did last year wasn't good enough for them, then move on and, and find a better, find a better situation. I mean, the only other guy I can think of, and you would know this, like that was, I, I mean, Ted Nolan won the Jack Adams mm-hmm. and then didn't go back. Like to be yep. a Jack Adams nominee and not go back the following season. I, I mean, this is almost un- like like I said. I think Ted Nolan's the only other one I can think of, right? Where think it? I think it may be. Yeah, I mean, and uh, yeah, uh, you know, and we've seen situations where guys leave, and and the Ted Nolan situation I think was was a little bit different. Um, there were some personality things going on there. Uh, you know, we've seen we've seen cup winning coaches. We've seen Mike Keenan. Go to St. Louis. We saw uh, Barry Trotz just a few years ago um, jump from Washington to the Islanders. I, I don't know that we've ever seen, um, other than Ted Nolan, a team move on from a Jack Adams. And we've, we've certainly seen guys be Jack Adams finalists and then very quickly get fired a year later or even during the next season. But to not even make it to opening night, I, I off the top of my head, I can't think of any other examples of that. No, no, it's uh, yeah. Certainly, it's a it's a rare, uh, rare situation. Want to pick your brain real quick before we open up uh, the the mailbag? Listen to to some uh, listener questions too via voicemail. Uh, the award show, uh, NHL award show, happened on Tuesday mm-hmm. night, and we joked last week. I said, you know, you should have written the jokes for Keenan Thompson. I had the laugh at the way the show ended, where it was like clearly yeah. he was getting a cue in his in his ear, like we have seven seconds. He's like, hey, congratulations yeah. for Leafs for winning something in June. See ya. Like it, it kind of, yep. it was a it very awkward, cold a good out. 
Yeah, that was a good line. Yeah, they they clearly uh, had had a hard out for him. Uh, I thought he, he he did a good job. The show was yeah. good. Um, you know, I I thought I said yesterday on on the other podcast that I thought it got a little schmaltzy at times. Like it it, it kind of got a little over the top with the like we're all good guys and you know here's all our inspirational stories. But I had some other people tell me like, hey, you're sitting in Canada. This is on ESPN. The fans don't. Some of the people watching this don't know these stories. And okay, I you know I, I get that. Um, I thought Keenan uh, Thompson did a good job. I thought uh, the uh, unfortunately there wasn't really anything in the voting results that we could get furious about. I mean, I know some people are trying, like they're trying to. Oh, there's one guy who didn't vote for Matthews or McDavid out of 200. Let's be mad at him. Uh, I thought the voters got it pretty much right, or at least close enough that uh, you know it, it's uh, there. There wasn't anything too ridiculous. Uh, good show. Look. I like the full-on cheesy NHL awards show with sketches and monologues and musical acts who don't know anything about hockey and celebrities mispronouncing names. I, I, I love that. Maybe I'm the only one. So I, I don't necessarily want this one-hour condensed version to, uh, to stick, but it wasn't bad. I thought they did a good job of it. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Speaking of uh, the awards here, in fact, we got an email here. It's kind of, uh, well, again, like I said, open up the email. We'll, we'll listen to a couple of voicemails too. want to remind our listeners, uh, the Athletic Hockey Show at gmail.com. The Athletic Hockey Show at gmail.com. Um, Jason writes in, and, and this is a little bit of a, a tr- long way to get there and t- to the question, but l- let me read this out because there's some a little bit of fun here. Jason says, hey. Seems like Ian missed out on my Arizona adventure of eating a 22-inch, three-pound hot dog prior to a D-backs game. In keeping with the tradition of emails about uh, eating food challenges, Sean made the point of saying he does not take on eating challenges. It reminded me of when I was back in college. Due to financial constraints, I would enter pizza eating contests. The contests were free, but this bar had races to see who could eat two full pies. I never won, but I was consistently fed for free looking back one of the best financial decisions at the time that's brilliant just enter food contests if you don't have to Not pay bad. there's no I entrance did, fee yeah what's what's that Who bar would, doing though like what's that, i yeah. don't understand the business model here that uh yeah, yeah. i would i am not a I, I i i'm not a food contest guy but i college me i would have definitely been uh been in on that yeah you and i used to go to a place in ottawa called the james street feed company mm, yep um Imagine if they were just, it's free, you know, all you can eat wing night at contests. We would be there all the time as students. I like, remember we went one time uh, for one cent wings 
uh, at some place we hadn't been it, to. It, it was called Zuma's. Zuma's. Penny Wings. Holy, I, I honestly think they must have found like every ch- uneaten chicken wing from the last month and saved it and thrown it under a heat lamp because those were the worst chicken wings. It was in a vat. Do you remember? Yeah. It was like in, like <laughs> under a heat lamp. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and you, know, you know how this worked? You would give them a quarter, like, a tw- like 25 yeah. cents. You give them a quarter. They would give you a ticket that allowed you to have 20 wings. It was 20 wings for 25 cents, and they called it Penny That's right. Night. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Unbelievable. I, I, I mean, I was young and starving, and I'm paying a penny, yeah. and I'm still like, I'm not getting my money's worth on this. This is, these are terrible this, is, this is no good. Yeah. Anyway, by the way, Jason's real question here. I got a question for Ian and his uh, balloting. Ian, uh, how and why did you leave Michael Bunting off your Calder Trophy ballot? Was a question of age, or was this just to stir the pot with your co-host? That's from Jason. So listen, I good question. I, I really appreciate these types of questions because I think it's really important when you have a ballot for a major award that you are transparent, accountable, and uh, you know ready to defend your decisions. These are these are significant decisions to make, right? And so I don't want to to hide behind it. So I I want to tackle this question. And like for me, the Calder Trophy came down to two players for me when I was like, who should win? It was Moritz Sider and Trevor Zegras for me. Like in in terms of who impressed me the most, who did the most. And, and at the end of the day, I looked at the, I'm like, this has to be Sider. Like, this is unbelievable. What this kid is doing as a defenseman. So that became clear to me. Sider one, Zegras two. After that, it was very open for me. And I absolutely considered bunting. And age wasn't a factor for me. Age, like, I, I saw the people saying like, oh, Michael Bunting is 25 or whatever. I don't care. That's not, don't blame Michael Bunting. That's not, he's, yep. he's eligible. That's the rule. You work. Okay. The issue for me on bunting, and by the way, I voted Austin Matthews first for the Hart Trophy. So I hope people don't think that this is me, some anti-leaf thing. But in in voting Matthews for the Hart Trophy, I think I don't want to say bunting rode the coattails, but there was a there was an element of me that thought, what would Michael Bunting do without like like what would Trevor Zegers do riding shotgun with Austin Matthews? Like what would what would uh, uh, Janot do from, from, from Nashville, riding shotgun with Austin Matthews? And so that kind of went into it for me. I thought Austin Matthews had a historic season, and Michael Bunting was a beneficiary of that. And so that was, that was a big part of it for me, that, that I thought if he was on a different line, if he didn't have as much time with those guys, if he was doing different things, I think that would be a part of it. I thought what Swayman did in, in Boston, given the position, given the fact that there was a lot of uncertainty there with, with Rask, I thought that deserved uh, some consideration. Uh, so really, that's why I left him off. And it wasn't, uh, you know, anything to, you know, anti-Toronto. Because like I said, if, if there was an anti-Toronto sentiment to any of my my voting, I don't think I would have gone Austin Matthews first. So that yeah. that's my rationale. You can tell me if it doesn't make sense or no. I think that, that's that's valid. And you know, it, Ian's not some homer. I mean, I, I I found it a little weird that Brady Kachuk was on your Calder ballot. That that was a little <laughs> bit of a strange choice. Yeah. But yeah, you know, whatever, it's fine. Yeah, there you go. Uh, well, listen, why don't we listen to some voicemails here? Uh, we got a couple of them, and we want to remind you anytime you want to hit us up with a voicemail. The phone number is 845-445-8459. 845-445-8459. Got a couple here. Why don't we start with Chris from Vegas? And I, I know a lot of people, I, I don't know when, I don't know how or when we can watch this in the in, in Canada. But on Sunday, ESPN is going to be airing the uh, the E60 documentary Unrivaled on the Avs and the Red Wings. Do you, do you even know how we can watch this in Canada? No, I don't. But I, I would assume it'll... Uh, TSN, I'm sure, pretty, pretty quickly. Yeah, TSN yeah. tends to tends to work with them. Uh, we'll figure it out one way or another. Yeah, we'll get it here. But anyway, a lot of people are super excited for this coming out on the weekend. Avs Red Wings rivalry, and Chris from Vegas has a, a question for us uh, along those lines. This weekend, ESPN is showing their documentary Unrivaled about the seven year war between the Red Wings and the Avalanche, and it was quite possibly the most intense rivalry amongst the greatest players at the highest level in relatively modern hockey. 15 Hall of Famers across two teams during that time frame. Not sure we'll ever see that many in a rivalry again in the cap era. 
So my question to you guys is, who won the rivalry? Does one team stand above the other, even if only slightly? In my book, three Stanley Cups for the Red Wings is the tiebreaker. But how do you guys see it? Good question. You know, and it's, it's actually one I've, I'll be honest with you, Sean. I've never pondered who won the mm-hmm. rivalry. Like, because you look at it and they won five Stanley Cups between them. Red Wings in 97, 98, 02, Avs in 96 and 01. I guess if you look at it, like Chris says from there, because Detroit had more cup wins, I suppose you can say they won the rivalry. I, mm-hmm. I'm more inclined to think that this thing was a wash. Like, yeah, I, 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 I right? kind of, I sort of reject the premise of the question that we that we need to pick a winner for a rivalry. I mean, I, I feel like the great, a lot of the great rivalries. That's what makes them great is that you can't pick like who won Magic versus Bird. You know who who won. Whereas other rivalries, like you can say who won Manning or Brady. Tom Brady won that one. Which yeah. is why it doesn't rank as one of the you know the all time great rivalries the way that it could. I, I don't I don't want to pick a winner. I I, I just want to say it's a great rivalry and and that's that. Now that said, if if we want to um, if we want to pick a winner, yeah, uh, looking at the Stanley Cups is is one good way to do it. The flip side of that, and certainly if you're a, if you're a Colorado fan, you're going to say yeah, but these two teams this. As much as they hated each other in the regular season, this rivalry was forged in the playoffs. They met five times in the rivalry years, and Colorado won three out of the five. So maybe that's uh, you know maybe that's Colorado. Uh, that's their claim to it. Is yeah, you you won the cups, but the years you didn't win the cup, it was because we knocked you out um, of the of the playoffs. Um, I don't know. De- Detroit would probably counter that. Yeah, you know what? But the main thing was we won the we won the big fights. So uh, <laughs> you know we would. We won. We won the the Vernon Wall fight. We won. Uh, uh, well, McCarty Lemieux wasn't really a fight, but uh, you know maybe they pulled that out. I, I, you know, to to give you the the cheesy cliched answer, who won? We all won because it was about the friends we made along the way, uh, and it was about just watching this this amazing epic rivalry that uh, is, um, if if not the greatest in modern history, the NHL, right there with the Battle of Alberta. I think is the only other one you could you could put next to it. Um, it was, it was amazing to see. And then I don't, uh, I don't feel a need to declare a winner. All right. Uh, yeah, I like, I, li- I like what you said there. Like, yeah, it's the friends we made along the way that Detroit, yeah. Colorado. I don't know that in our lifetime, we'll see a better rivalry. I just don't like forever. Star power. We never will. And, and by the way, Hey, yeah. speaking of which at the award show, Claude Lemieux sitting yeah. with, what was that all about? I don't like that, man. Like, I I know he's Sider's agent, and uh, we talked about that, but I don't I don't know. He doesn't need to be sitting with like with with the Red Wing with Steve Eiserman and everything. Like, come on, man. Like, let's let's keep the kayfabe on this. We don't, uh, you know. Let's. Can you imagine if Sider like walks as a free agent or like holds out or something? Just Claude Lemieux playing the long game and yeah. just right back to being the most hated guy. Fingers crossed no on that one. Yeah, no, it, it is. It, it almost feels. I, I, you're a big wrestling guy, but it almost feels like you know when when there's like stage stuff, and then you see that they're actually buddies or whatever. You're like, what? Yeah, this is really weird to me. <laughs> see, exactly, you. exactly. Yeah. You can't, uh, you can't do it. Yeah. All right, uh, we got one more voicemail. Uh, this one comes in from uh, Samuel from North Carolina. He's got a question for you, Sean. And we were just talking about the award show earlier, and every year there's a first and a second team. All-Star team. At the end of the season, first team All-Star, second team All-Star. Well, Samuel's got a, uh, a potential proposal here uh, along those lines. I have a question for Sean as to whether there would be justification for adding an official third team to the NHL All-Star team selections. I understand that way back in the 30s, up to even, say, the early 2000s, when there wasn't as much elite talent level that it was okay to only have two official teams. But now that the talent level has really started to rise, I just can't help but think that it's time to add an official third team to the NHL All-Star team. And I'm wondering, since Sean is a great historian, from a historical point of view, would that make sense to add it now? Thank you. Bye. All right. So I guess uh, answer the question here, Sean. Do, is it time because of a better player pool, more teams, 
do we need a third all-star team at the end of the season? Yeah, and at the end of the season, because I got to admit, when I when I first heard this, it confused me. And I, was, I thought he meant like in the all-star game. I'm like, we're going to yeah. have like a, like they're just going to wait to play the other. But no, he's he's talking the real all-stars, the meaningful ones, which is the postseason, the first and second team. Could we have a third team? Um, we could. I mean, I, I don't know that um, the reason to do it is that there's more talent than ever before. I mean, every generation has, uh, you know, has talented elite players. And, you know, there were lots of guys when we were growing up who who didn't get much uh, all-star love that, uh, you know, were absolutely elite level players. Um, but, yeah, you could you could do a third team. The NBA has a, has a third team, I believe. Um, NFL doesn't, um, but you could. It would just be, you know, a little extra bit of marketing. And, and the interesting thing is we have all the votes going back, so you could even do it retroactively. You could even say, like, all right, this – these guys are now you're now a third team all star from five years ago because we know that you finished third on on that. Um, you know, this is uh, Alexander Ovechkin was probably a center back in 2013. too. <laughs> we can get him on the third team for for uh, for that finish, finish it all off. But I, I don't I don't hate the idea. I mean, uh, you know, the the argument against it would be that, you know, we don't want to water it down or anything. But I, I don't know that. It would all that much, uh, and and it would give you an extra chance to kind of highlight uh, some of the the better players. I, I don't mind the idea. One more email here. Uh, let's get this one here from Grady. Grady writes in, uh, "Hey guys, Tyson Jost was traded from the Avs to the Minnesota Wild after he played fifty nine regular season games for Colorado." Stanley Cup rules say that if you played 41 regular season games with a team or one game in the final, your name is on the cup. So help me out here. Does Tyson Jost get his name on the Stanley Cup this year if Colorado wins? My mom is a big North Dakota fan where Jost went to school. We need you to solve this debate. Thanks and appreciate all you do. That comes from Grady. Uh, no, he does not get his name on the cup. He's not a member of the team anymore. The, the rule that you're citing only applies to guys that are on the team. Uh, this is uh, the same reason that, you know, Mike Gartner's name is not on the Rangers Cup in 94. Uh, you go on down the list, there, there are lots and lots of guys who have been uh, traded midway through a season in which their their team won the Stanley Cup, um, and they do not get their, their name on the Stanley Cup. Doesn't get a ring, does not go into the history books as, as a Stanley Cup winner. Yeah. Sorry. Paul, apologies to your mom. <laughs> Gartner's always the one I think of because I think he played like, 70 did he not play like like literally right up to the yep. deadline it like was it was like games? a late a late trade deadline and and you know he's a guy 700 goal guy played 20 years never won a stanley cup and yeah. uh yeah that that's that's always remembered as a tough one but uh yeah no he does not uh you're you're not on the team you're not on the cup all right let's wrap up the thursday pod like we always do with a little this week in hockey history you know what it's funny we started this show talking about controversy in overtime and uh we got an overtime theme to uh to this week in hockey history june 21st 1999 june 21st 1999 the nhl announced a radical new format for overtime starting in the following season each team would receive a point for a game that is tied after 60 minutes with an additional point some would call it a loser point mm-hmm. handed out to the overtime winner. And then we should also point out the league also said we're moving to a four on four overtime format. I, I think that gets forgotten too. Like we used to have five on five overtime. And if nothing happened, everyone got a point. 19, June 21st, 1999, a complete overhaul of the overtime system, Sean. Yeah. And, and I've been very vocal of my contempt for the loser point. Or the winner point, or whatever you want to call it. Bonus, um, bonus point. Bonus point. It's terrible. The fact that we have some games worth more than others. The fact that we incentivize teams to play for overtime, which they very clearly do. Um, it's it it's it, it it makes the standings into a joke. It's terrible. It, it it's a day one change when I become commissioner. And <laughs> having said that, sometimes people are surprised when. Uh, when we talk about this change, which was in 1999, I actually don't hate this one, even though this is the birth of the loser point. Um, and it's because of the context here. So back in 99, the problem was 
Overtime was five minutes. It was five on five. Uh, no loser point. Uh, you know, just it, it was a tie if the game ended after that. Uh, and and overtime was very boring back then because you had two teams that yep. in their minds, the thinking was we already have a point in the bank. Let's not risk it by trying to get two points and, and maybe we turn over the puck and we get scored on. So overtime, which in theory should be one of the most exciting things you can see, was very, very dull. And so the NHL did did two things. They switched to four on four to open it up and they introduced this, this loser point, basically said, um, you know, it, it, you're now not losing anything if you get scored on. So you might as well go aggressive. You might as well go exciting. And it it did work. Um, there were a lot more overtime goals, uh, you know, a higher percentage of games being settled in overtime. Now, back then, the game could still end in a tie, though. So if you didn't, if after five minutes, uh, nobody had scored, okay, it was a tie. And that that's why the standings back then have four columns, which look really weird, because yeah. you had ties and overtime losses. But, you know, the rule did do what it, it was meant to do, which was encourage um, teams to not play for the tie. Now, the problem is, five years later, we bring in the shootout, and now we don't have ties anymore. So the problem that you were solving in 1999 doesn't exist anymore. Now, uh, go ahead and be boring in overtime for five minutes. That'll just get us to the shootout. We're still going to get a winner. Um, and yet the NHL kept the loser point. Um, and they've given us all sorts of nonsense reasons. Oh, it makes the playoff races closer, this and that. No, it yeah. doesn't. It inflates the records. That's the only reason that we have this thing. Um, and we all know it. But back in 99, uh, it, it actually wasn't a terrible addition. It, it, I would have liked to have seen just do four on four and see if that helped before they changed the point system. But it wasn't terrible. The, 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 big, the big problem was that we didn't dump the thing immediately once we had the shootout and the problem that this point was solving was no longer a problem. Man, it's crazy. That was the, the summer of 99 had the Brett Hall foot in the crease and then this, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Like- yep. And uh, <laughs> it, was, it was a big... And, and this even... The strange thing is, I don't remember this being that controversial at the time. Like, I don't remember this being something people were really furious about that they were doing. I know a lot of people were confused by the standings, you know, like my team is 23, 17, 6, and 4. Like, what does that even, you know, what does that even mean? But, uh, you know, it wasn't bad. I remember the thing was the the number of uh, the percentage of games that were being settled in overtime. I think it was something like 20 or 25 percent only um, before this rule change, and it went up to 40 percent. Um, or maybe it was even closer to 50%. So the rule worked, but also the number of overtime games increased because, of course, teams right. were like, wait a second, we get you know, games more valuable, we get it to overtime. And that should have been what everybody saw and went, oh, wait a second, this is the problem here. Is, um, and this has led to what we have now, where if you're watching a tie game in the third period, instead of being excited, you're sitting there going, oh, let's watch these two teams dump the puck in while they wait for, for overtime to come. Um, we should get rid of it, but I... Don't hate the way that it came into the league. You know, it's weird. You say you don't remember a lot of controversy around it. But really, like, what were the outlets in 1999? Like, there was no yeah. internet. Like, so really, unless you were going out and complaining about this with your friends, I mm-hmm. mean, or, or like Kevin Allen wrote about it in USA Today. Yeah. Or well, you know what it was back then? It was, did Don Cherry yell about it on Saturday night? Yeah. That kind of set the the whole thing. But I mean, there were... There was still sports radio. There were, you know, the newspaper columnists and that sort of thing. Uh, you know, we it wasn't like today. You're right. Where I mean, the smallest thing happens, and you got a hundred people yelling at you about it. Um, but it was, you know, it it was. We did have some, and and the the skate in the crease being an example. I mean, that was a big controversy uh, for a lot of that summer, and the fact that they, you know, sort of tried to quietly get rid of it after the damage had already been done, and this, which. You know, you're right. It was a radical change. Uh, kind of just slipped by. Um, but, it, you know, it, it did what it was meant to do. And I, I'm never, I'm never, I never want to criticize the NHL for thinking outside the box because this league almost never does that. And this was an example where they did. Um, I just wish they had been smart enough to get rid of it uh, once the shootout arrived. But by that right, point, listen, the GMs, the GMs were hooked on the, the inflated records. Point. And yeah, yeah that's hanging around. Job protection, as you like to say. All right, we'll we'll leave it there. Uh, when we hit the the show next week, we'll have a Stanley Cup winner because yep. uh, Game Seven, if if it goes to the seventh game, it'll be wrapped up by then. So I'm sure we'll have a lot to uh, to tackle 
Um, we want to thank everybody for listening to this latest uh, edition of the Athletic Hockey Show, the Thursday show. A uh, reminder, you can email us any question, theathletichockeyshow at gmail.com. Leave us a voicemail. And we'd love to actually hear. If anybody else has had one cent wings at some point in your life, please let us know because that was weird. Now that you mentioned that, <laughs> the penny wings. They were that, awful. They're so yeah. bad. I still remember them. I don't remember yeah. anything I learned in university other than don't go out for one penny wings. Yeah, what's <laughs> it, Wings? You can also leave us a voicemail with any of your uh, questions or anecdotes, whatever. 845-445-8459. Not a subscriber with us? You can join us at theathletic.com slash hockey show. Get an annual subscription for a dollar a month for the first six months. We also have something really cool called the Athletic Audio Plus. If you're uh, with Apple Podcasts, you'll get all of our bonus content from all of our shows. Start with a 30-day free trial, and then it's just 99 cents a month after that.